0: Hey, everybody. How are you? Are you feeling merry and jolly? Good. It's all right. A couple of you are. That's great. Uh, It's great to have you with us. Um, We're today continuing a series we've been working through called After Party. We're talking about uh, the celebration of Christmas and what it means that we, basically Christmas is a celebration of the event of Jesus' birth. We're kind of attending the after party, a a celebration of the event of Jesus being born. And so at talking about uh, that, I'd, I'd love to begin our conversation today with a quote from the great theologian and spiritual father, Tom Petty if I could. Uh, This quote is from Tom Petty's last interview, actually, with the LA Times. Um, uh, And he he was asked the question, what is it like to still be making music with the Heartbreakers, which is his band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, after all these years, decades. And this is what he said. He said, the thing about the Heartbreakers is it's still holy to me. There's a holiness there. If that were to go away, I don't think I would be interested in it. And I don't think they would either. We're a real rock and roll band. Always have been. Amen to that. And to us, in the era we came up in, it was a religion in a way. It was more than commerce. It wasn't about that. It was about something much greater. It was about moving people and changing the world. And I really believed in rock and roll. I still do. When you are a part of something that you feel is holy, you get passionate about it. Uh, nobody has to tell you to celebrate it, you just do. But when you're part of something that you, you view as being holy, you give, you sacrifice, you go 100% all in, uh, you, just, you just go crazy for it. Uh, Tom Petty felt that way about the rock music that he was making with his band, The Heartbreakers. Uh, on the other hand, if you think about your life, Um, if there's something that you're a part of that you feel like is ordinary, you don't do those things. You don't get passionate about it. You don't get sold out for it. You don't celebrate. It's something that feels ordinary, you don't celebrate. What happens is if something feels ordinary, you basically go through the motions. You get into a routine with it. And then before long, a routine eventually just becomes a rut And then you start asking questions about, man, is what I'm doing with my life, does it even matter? Is this thing I'm a part of, does it even matter? Uh, And and we begin to ask questions about the meaning that we have in our world and our lives. Uh, There's this danger for those of us who are followers of Christ, but I would say even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, there's this danger we have when we look at our vocation, when we look at whatever it is that we're giving our life to, and to begin to say, man, all I do all day is fill in the blank. All I do all day is drive to the next job site and do the next thing. All I do all day is sit in the same cubicle with the same people and have the same phone conversations. All I do all day is just, you know, meet with the next client, talk on the phone with the next person and do the next project. And what happens is we can begin to view our lives as just ordinary, just mundane, and we don't celebrate what we're doing. It just begins to feel ordinary. C.S. Lewis said this, and C.S. Lewis actually was a great theologian and spiritual father, and um, he said this, the homemaker, he's talking about stay-at-home moms here. He says, the homemaker has the ultimate career. All other careers exist for one purpose only, and that is to support the ultimate career. (laughs) Isn't that true? That's really true. And yet, how many stay-at-home moms have you heard say something like, all I do all day is white bottoms and fill sippy cups and change diapers and just get ready for the next day. It's just ordinary. It's just mundane. All I do is just take care of these kids all day. What makes ordinary things holy is the meaning that we bring to them. What makes something that's ordinary actually become holy is when we bring a sense of holiness and a sense of meaning to it. It's holy if you make it holy. The ground can be always holy if you want it to be, because you're always on a mission field. No matter what you're giving your life to, you're always on the mission field, and therefore the ground can always be holy if you want it to be. Now, maybe you're sitting there going, "Why are you talking about this? That, that's great. Why? Why are you asking us to think about this?" Here's the reason: When we think about Christmas and the celebration that we're entering into, as we go into this next week, um, when you when you look at Christmas in the Bible. Bible tells the story of Jesus' birth, but the Bible actually doesn't celebrate the story of Jesus' birth as a holy day, which is interesting. So if you go through all the Old Testament, there are these holy days where the Lord says, have a feast, have a festival. In fact, there are seven feasts of the Lord, seven holy festivals that that God told his people through the Old Testament, you need to celebrate these. You need to throw a party. You need to go crazy celebrating these. And what's interesting is you go into the New Testament, the story of Jesus' birth is told, but it's never called a holy day. And God's people are never told to celebrate it as a holy day. Nobody through the New Testament, there's no reference to the early church celebrating Jesus' birth as a holy day at all. In fact, the Bible doesn't even really tell us what day Jesus was actually born on. December 25th, which is the day we celebrate as Jesus' birthday, uh, was actually the beginning of a pagan festival in ancient times, known as the winter solstice. And the 25th was the beginning of that, that festival, that celebration. Many of the Christmas traditions that we celebrate today, including the Christmas tree, actually have their roots in this pagan festival where people long before the time of Jesus were worshiping these idols. And it was part of this festival called the winter solstice. And so what happened is, as Christians began to try to evangelize, uh, specifically Celtic people, what they did is they took all these traditions and they basically just baptized them in the name of Jesus and they made all these traditions holy. They brought a sense of holiness. They brought a sense of meaning to the winter solstice, to this pagan festival that was going on. Now, some of you have heard that before. Some of, some of you, that's not new information. And for some of you, that's new information. You never heard that and your heads are about to explode right now. And so you hear that and you sit there and you wonder, wait a minute, what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean we shouldn't celebrate Christmas? Should I, you know, burn the Christmas tree and stop eating copious amounts of sugar? And I would say, no. Well, maybe the sugar part. Somebody said, thank you. That's awesome. (laughs) Uh, No. In fact, here's what I would say. I think we actually need to lean in and celebrate Christmas even harder. That's what I actually think. And the reason is because uh, you can make something ordinary, holy, if you want to. The ground can be holy if you want to bring that to it. I don't think we should stop celebrating Christmas. I think we should just invite others to celebrate the same things that God is celebrating. That's what the early Christians did with the Celtic festival, the, the winter solstice. They just put it in Jesus' name and they celebrated him. They just began to celebrate the same things that God is celebrating. That's how you make an ordinary thing holy. is you just decide you're going to celebrate the same things that God is celebrating. If you're taking notes, maybe jot this statement down. It's much easier to bring holiness to what we already celebrate in our world, and our culture, rather than trying to make people celebrate something that we call holy. Okay, it's much easier to bring holiness to what we already celebrate, rather than trying to make people celebrate something that we call holy. So, when you're at the mall, and that person at the mall wishes you a happy holidays instead of a Merry Christmas and you feel something rise up inside of you, and you're ready to deck something other than the halls, uh, don't lose your mind on them just yet. Instead, think about how can I invite the world I'm living in, how can I invite people just to celebrate what is holy about this season, which is Christ? How can I invite people to celebrate the same things that God is celebrating as part of the celebration of Christmas? Because people this week are going to celebrate something. Everybody's going to celebrate in some way or another. The question is, how do you make it holy? How do you bring holiness? How do you bring meaning to what's ordinary? That's what I think the church is called to do. That's what I think we're, we as the church are called to do in the culture that we live in. So it begs the question then, what does God celebrate? What is it that God celebrates? If, if how you make something ordinary holy is to celebrate the same things with it that God celebrates, well, what exactly does God celebrate? What I'd love to do is I'd love to go to the same passage we started this series with, we began this, uh, this series looking at the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. There are four gospel accounts uh, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the New Testament. And in the story of, of Luke, in Luke's gospel, uh, we're going to pick up the story right after the moment where Jesus is born and he's wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger. And what happens is the angels, we talked about week one, the angels appear first and foremost to the lowest, to the poorest of society. They appear to announce the news to the shepherds, and here's the angel's announcement. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for who? All the people. For all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, the first week of this series, we talked about that announcement that the angels gave to the shepherds, and we talked about the first part of that sentence, which was, uh, Jesus' news was good news, causing great joy. Uh, what I'd like to talk about with this teaching is the last part of that sentence. Jesus' birth was good news. It was announced as good news, causing great joy for all the people, for everyone. You could even go as far as to say that Jesus' birth was good news causing great joy for all the people to the point where there were zero people it was not good news for. You see what I did there? And this is where the concept of our vision as a church comes from. When we talk about zero people living unchanged for Jesus, it's, it's because Jesus, from the moment he was announced to this world, was good news causing great joy for all the people. There were zero people it was, it was bad news for. And Jesus himself stays very consistent with this message all throughout his life. That's the way he saw himself. That's the way he talked about himself. Uh, In fact, I could take you to places again and again and again all throughout the Gospel of Luke where you see this. Um, But Jesus actually had a lot to say about what heaven was partying about, specifically in Luke chapter 15. So 13 chapters after this announcement of Jesus' birth, 13 chapters in in the Gospel of Luke later, Jesus tells three stories. Stories about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. Now, we've looked at those passages before. We've looked at those three stories that Jesus tells before. But what I want to do today is I want to I draw out a specific part of those stories that we haven't looked at before and talk about what it means uh, in terms of what we celebrate this time of year with Christmas. So Jesus begins, he's talking to this group of Jewish people in first century Palestine. And he begins, he says, there was a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one, and one of them wanders away. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep and he goes in search for the for the one sheep. And he, then he picks it up and he carries it back on his shoulders. This is a picture of the father, of God the father and his love for us. And then Jesus picks up the story, verse six, it says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, That in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He goes on from there and Jesus begins a second story. He says there was a woman who had 10 coins and she loses one. And she doesn't just say, well, nine's pretty good. What she does is she turns her house upside down on this all-out search until she finds her one lost coin. And then verse 9, Jesus says, And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, which is interesting because really, this is the first time since Luke chapter 2 that we've heard anything about what the angels are doing. It's the first time we've heard about what they're actually celebrating. So in Luke 2, we get this picture of the angels and what they're, the announcement. Jesus is good news, causing great joy for all the people, for everyone. And then 13 chapters later, Jesus says, let me let you in a little bit on what heaven is actually celebrating. And we get this picture of what, is the, what are the angels in heaven celebrating? They celebrate when even one person repents and turns back to God and gives their life uh, fully surrendered to God. This is what they're celebrating. Jesus goes on from there and he tells what is maybe his most famous, well-known parable. It may be his most celebrated parable. Um, even if you didn't grow up in church, you've probably heard it. He begins by talking about there's a father who has two sons. And one of them, the younger one, goes to his father and says, Father, I want my share of the inheritance early, which in a first century Jewish culture was the equivalent of saying, Dad, I wish you were already dead. He takes his inheritance, the father gives it to him, and he goes off, it says, to a foreign country, and he squanders his wealth down to zero in wild living. And he has this moment where he finally hits rock bottom and he comes to his senses and he has this thought, maybe I could go back to my, I could go back home because things were good home. And maybe I could go back as a slave. I can't go back as a son. Maybe I could go back as a slave. And so you you know the story. While he's still a long way off, the father sees him, runs out to greet him, and it's celebration language. He says, bring the best robe and put it around my son. Bring the best ring and put it on his finger, the best sandals on his feet. And then he throws this huge party. He throws this huge celebration. He says, we've got to celebrate. And a lot of times we talk about that part of the story and we kind of end the story there. We go, isn't that great? And we focus on the celebration and we forget the rest of the story. There's a whole nother part to that story. And Jesus continues on, verse 28, the older brother, remember there's two brothers, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Which is tough, man. I mean, how do you celebrate without a young goat being involved? You know what I mean? Best celebrations of my life, there was a young goat present. I I don't know. But he goes on, but when this son of yours, notice the language he uses, not when this brother of mine, he says, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Like, really, dad? That's what you do? When he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father says, you're always with me. I love you just as much as I love your brother and everything I have is yours. I've held nothing back from you. It's all yours. But we had to what? What? We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, notice the language, not this son of mine, this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Now we've looked at that story a few different times, but I want to pull out something we've never looked at in that story before. Specifically, I want to look at, kind of put a microscope over the phrase killing the fattened calf. Okay, so the older brother says, man, you won't even give me a young goat to celebrate with my friends, but when my brother comes home, who's basically messed up his life, you kill the fattened calf? Really, Dad, that's what you do? So I wanted that phrase, kill the fattened calf, Um, for a first century Jewish audience. When they heard that phrase, you kill the fattened calf, it would have triggered something for them instantaneously. That uh, That is sacrificial system and Holy Day language. That's a specific reference to what they would do on the holy days. I mentioned in the Old Testament, there are seven feasts of the Lord. And on many of those feasts, particularly Passover, what you would do is you would kill the fattened calf. We say that in our culture today. We talk about, you know, and we're going to throw a really big party. Yeah, I mean, we're going to kill the fattened calf. Or, you know, we use that language today. It came from this parable. What they would do is literally uh, they would have a lamb a calf that they would fatten. It was the best of their herd. It was their, their top sacrifice, the best thing they could give. And they would uh, hold on to that calf and they would prepare it and they would save it for the holy day, for the holy festival. And then when the day came, they would sacrifice that, that fattened calf. And so what's, what's happening here is immediately this is language that would have referenced the sacrificial system and, and what you would do on a holy day. Not only that, but there's something that you don't see unless you look at it in the original language. Where, where the brother says, when my brother comes home, you kill the fattened calf For him. That word kill, actually, uh, most of the time when you see the, the word kill in the New Testament, it is most often uh, a, a translation from the Greek word "apoktino." Apoktino means to kill. But in this particular passage, when Jesus says, kill the fattened calf, when the older brother says, kill the fattened calf, uh, it's actually translated from the Greek word thuo. So in other words, when my brother comes home, instead of saying, you apoktinoed the fattened calf, he says, when my brother comes home, you thuoed the fattened calf. Now, why does that matter? Most of the time in the New Testament, when you see the Greek word thuo, most often it is translated as the word to sacrifice. In fact, some translations of the, of the Bible, of this passage of scripture, and maybe it's the one you grew up with if you grew up reading the story, actually when it gets to that line, you, when my brother comes home, it actually says, you sacrificed the fattened calf for him? Really, that's what you did? When my brother came home, you sacrificed the fattened calf? For a first century Jewish audience, it would have been like, wait, hold on a minute. Sacrifice the fattened calf. That's what you do on a holy day. That's what you do, you know, when it's a holy day, when this is a holy moment. The subtle message that Jesus is trying to get through is that for the father in the story, when the son comes home, that's a holy day. That's a holy moment. It's not an ordinary day. The Father brings meaning. He brings holiness to that moment. He says, we're standing on holy ground right now. Sacrifice the fattened calf. And the subtle message is, this is what God the Father celebrates. God the Father celebrates when even one lost person when even one brother or sister of ours comes back and goes from death to life. God celebrates when Jesus changes people's lives. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, when we start, in fact, the Sunday we started this series, we had a baptism service. And so if you can picture, if you've never been to one of our baptism services, uh, two weeks ago you would have seen a big uh, horse trough. We call it the holy horse trough right here on stage. And uh, we baptized a bunch of people on that day. And right afterward, um, I guess it was Monday, the next day, Amanda Alkenbrack, who is our kids ministry director, Amanda does an excellent job leading um, the block, our, our kids ministry here. She sent me an email, and here's what her email said. It said, I have a family who has been coming regularly for about a year now. They're a family friend of ours, and their oldest attended Spring Hill Camp with Christian two years ago. So we do this Spring Hill Day Camp in the summer. And so this is a friend of theirs that they invited, and their kids came with uh, her kids. She says, yesterday, I got the chance to bring the kids into service for baptism, which was amazing in itself. And if you've been a part of baptism services, you know we bring our kids in so they can stand right here and be a part of it and see it and see uh, people getting baptized. She said, I could tell Anna, the fifth grader, which is the the friend that they had brought, Anna, the fifth grader, was really processing what was going on, but I just let it simmer and I didn't say anything to her. I got a text from her mom last night that her husband led Anna to accept Christ. This is such an amazing story, knowing their background and seeing her grow this past year. She ends the email this way. She said, I think this was worth sharing and celebrating. To which I would say, yes, That is, when a father leads his daughter to Christ, that is worth sharing and celebrating for sure. That is worth celebrating because that's what the father celebrates. The older brother in the story is only criticized for one thing he's not criticized because he didn't go after his younger brother. You don't have the father saying, man, you should have done more to keep your brother from leaving the house in the first place. You should have worked to really go after him. He's not criticized for anything. He's not criticized for any of that. The one and only thing the older brother is criticized for in the story is for not joining in the celebration. For not going into the after party of his brother coming home. The only thing he's criticized for is not recognizing this is a holy day. This is a holy moment. God the Father is celebrating his son and what his son uh, can do to change people's lives. Jesus was good news, causing great joy for all people. When we celebrate God's love for all people, the last part of that sentence from the angel's announcement, uh, it's almost always controversial. Almost always. Always. We said week one of this series that our world celebrates all kinds of stuff that doesn't really matter. And it's safe to celebrate. You know, sports events. It's like, yeah, we just go crazy and celebrate sporting events where a year later it's going to be a two different teams at the exact same event. Like, it's stuff that just doesn't at the end of the day matter. But when you celebrate well, the same thing the Father celebrates, it's almost always controversial. It almost always rubs people the wrong way. And the reason is because there is a little bit of older brother in all of us. We all have a little bit of older brother in us. And to celebrate what the Father is celebrating, you've got to understand Jesus is good news, causing great joy for all the people, for everyone, regardless of their age, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, or their sexual orientation, or their political affiliation. He's good news for everybody. Some of you immediately are saying, well, hold on, I can't celebrate what they celebrate. I can't do that. I can't affirm what they're celebrating right there. Here's the good news. Here it is. You don't have to. You don't have to celebrate what they're celebrating. You're called upon to celebrate the same thing that the Father is celebrating. And what does the Father celebrate? What, is the, what does the Father call a holy day when his, he celebrates his son Jesus changing people's lives. He celebrates his Son Jesus being good news, causing great joy for everybody, for all people. So the question is, is it still holy for you? Or has it become ordinary? A brother or sister of yours, not a son of his, not a daughter of his, a brother or sister of yours coming home. Is it still a day you'd sacrifice the fat and calf for? Does it still reverberate with holiness and passion for you, or has it just become eh, it's just ordinary. It's another thing. Another that's another thing we do. Whatever. Question is, are you celebrating the same things the father is celebrating? If the answer is no, uh, can I make a couple of course correction suggestions for you this next week? Uh, First of all, um, we are one week away from our Christmas services. That's actually not true. We're actually six days away from our Christmas services. Our first Christmas services start on Saturday, December 23rd. We have one at 4 o'clock and then one at 6 p.m. And then uh, we have one on the 24th on Christmas Eve at 10 a.m., I'll combine, and actually, uh, at 10 a.m. is when we're going to have the interpretation as well. By the way, I don't think that's something we've announced from up front before, too. Um, So 10 a.m. is going to be, it's going to be a huge celebration. They're all three identical services, and what we're going to do, my friends, we have thought through the experience from the parking lot all the way in and all the way out. We've gone crazy with creative ideas, and the reason is we are celebrating what God celebrates. That's what we're going to do with those services. We're going to celebrate when dead people become alive again. We're going to celebrate lost people being found, and we're going to celebrate Jesus being good news, causing great joy for all people, no matter what, all people. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to celebrate Uh, Second thing I would say is just, well, I would say invest and invite. Think about who this week, you're going to be in celebration mode. You're going to be around people. How can you make the ground holy? How can you invest in people, invite them to come celebrate with you what we're celebrating? The second I'd say, um, think about sharing your story with your family. What's really great about this time of year is families get together. People get together and, and we talk and there are natural opportunities. Just say, if God's done something in your life, if God's answered a prayer for you this past year, if God has uh, changed your life, just to say, I'm gonna tell that story and just share that with your family. It's it's an incredible time to do that. And thirdly, I would say, help us uh, to celebrate. Go ahead to that next one there. Help us give God praise for what he's done in your life and in our church, specifically here at Frontline. Just help us give God praise. Help us just thank him and give him praise for what he's done here at Frontline over this past year and in your life uh, as part of um, being a part of Frontline. One of my favorite stories uh, from this past year, one of the, one of the things I, I'm celebrating as I think back on this last year, uh, was a moment that happened in one of our baptism services. And there's a guy in our church who at one time was in ministry like me. He was a pastor just like I am. And because of a rough time he went through some sin and some brokenness. Uh, He's no longer in ministry in that way. And God has just been working his life and doing a restoration work. And and Jesus has met him and his family in the midst of that. And at at one of our baptism services this past year, I'm literally standing right here. The holy horse trough is right here. And uh, his teenage daughter was coming up to be baptized. And so she's literally coming up and I'm about to baptize his teenage daughter and I remember looking right over here, and he was he was standing right there, kind of like waiting for her to come out of, of the water. And in this moment, just standing there, watching his teenage daughter come up, I I it was just like this nudge from the Holy Spirit that's prompting me and said, invite him up. I felt like God just put put something in my heart to just say, just invite him up. And uh, we didn't talk about that; it wasn't planned. It wasn't part of the uh, some conversation we'd have. It was just right there in the moment. And so I, I remember I just started going like this, like, come up, come up. And he literally looks around he goes like this. And I'm like, yeah, come on up. So he comes up, his daughter gets in uh, the baptismal and he gets on this side and I get on this side. And I basically just watched as he baptized his daughter. It was an incredible moment. We were talking afterward and he said to me, thank you. I thought I had forfeited my chance to do that. I thought because of the stuff that's happened in my life, I thought I had forfeited the chance to baptize my daughter. And God is so good, you guys. He can give back the dreams we thought were dead. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is really that good. It's for all people. Dead people become alive again. Lost people become found again. And the heavens rejoice and celebrate. It's a holy day. Take off your shoes. Is it still holy to you? Does it still reverberate with a sense of holiness for you? That God can change people's lives. That He he can be good news, causing great joy for all people. We need to sing. And we we need to respond to that. So um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'll say a quick prayer, and then we're going to sing, and I'd love to close this with a benediction. God, this morning we just recognize that you came to this earth. You entered into our brokenness and into our shame, not to condemn, not to point out our fault, not to show us everything that we've done wrong, but because you were good news. And what do you do with good news? You celebrate it. And so with great joy for all people, we celebrate this morning. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done in our church over this past year. You have been so good to us, and you want to do more. You're not done with us yet. And so, God, uh, we worship you in that. We ask that you would be glorious, that you would be made famous through us, God. we, We bring holiness to these next days that we're in and this next week that we're leading into. And we celebrate this morning, God, what you're celebrating. We celebrate the same things the Father is celebrating. That Jesus, His Son, is here and among us and can change lives. In Jesus' name, amen.